You're listening to the Mission Church Podcast. Each message comes from our Sunday morning gatherings where we worship in community, study God's word, and grow in our faith together to the glory of Jesus Christ. The Mission Church is committed to helping each person belong and believe and to equip them to embrace the call of God upon their life. We pray these messages will build your faith and encourage you today. All right, we're going to get into a Bible study this morning. Our ushers have some Bibles. If you need a Bible, it will be much better to read along with us. Just go ahead and raise your hand. They'll bring you uh, God's Word this morning. And we're going to be in Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20. If you're new with us or you're just getting back into it, we've been going through a series called Unexpected Messiah. And we've been going verse by verse through the Gospel of Matthew. And here we are. One week before Palm Sunday, in the last section before Jesus' triumphal entry. So as God would have it, next Sunday we will literally be at the Palm Sunday message, which will be a joy to cover. And today we're going to be looking at this last section of Matthew chapter 20, which is titled, Spiritual Sight Given to a Blind World. Spiritual Sight in a Blind World. Last week, Pastor Dave taught us on the greatness of the kingdom of God. And to be great, you are to become a what? A servant of all. To be great, you are to become a servant of all. And we're going to see Jesus not only teaching that from the last section, but he's going to live it out in this section as we're introduced to this miraculous situation in which he heals two blind men from their suffering. I want you to think about this question for just a moment. In your lifetime, what would you like to see come to fruition? In your lifetime, what would you like to see come to fruition? Anybody want to participate? The rapture. rapture. Great one, Jason. Everyone's like, oh, that was mine too. Yeah. What else would you like to see in your lifetime? Your grandkids. It's a good one. What'd you say, Gary? Trump. You know, we were on this path and then it got diverted. Oh, boy. I'm sure all of us could go around and there's a lot of good things that we'd like to see in our lifetime. How many of you are uh, hoping that your team wins the NCAA tournament? Yeah, a few of you just don't watch it during this message. Okay, you can watch it afterwards. We long to see certain things happen in our lifetime. And in this story, there are two men that simply just long to see anything. They physically were blind. And what we're going to learn in this story today that Jesus is teaching us is specifically about spiritual blindness and how it's Christ alone who brings spiritual sight into a blind world. It's a powerful story that not only takes place here in Matthew chapter 20, but also in Mark chapter 10 verses 46 through 52 and Luke chapter 18 verses 35 through 43. It's recorded in three out of the four Gospels. And to give you a little bit of summary context, here is what is happening in this season. Jesus has been teaching God's word with an amazing authority that has caused people to be drawn to him. They love to listen to his teaching. 
Jesus has been performing miracles, which include healing the blind and the lame and the sick, casting out demons, overcoming the elements by calming the sea, just ministering to people in tangible ways. And it's caused these massive crowds to follow Jesus wherever he goes. As a matter of fact, the scriptures up to this point has taught us that it's difficult for Jesus to get any alone time. Even when he tries to get away with his disciples, when people hear about where he is, they swarm to him. Some are there simply just to see a miracle happen. Some are there because they believe that he is the Messiah. And some, of the, some are there just stumbling upon who Jesus is. And isn't it wonderful to know that the kingdom of God is messy. The kingdom of God is not nice and neat. People will literally stumble into the kingdom and find and discover and understand who Jesus is. So this morning we read the passage in its entirety and then we'll break it down together. Matthew chapter 20, beginning in verse 29. Now, as they went out of Jericho, a great multitude followed him. And behold, two blind men sitting by the road, when they heard that Jesus was passing by, cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. Then the multitude warned them that they should be quiet. But they cried out all the more, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. So Jesus stood still and called them. And said, what do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. So Jesus had compassion and touched their eyes. And immediately their eyes received sight. And they followed him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. And how the word was made flesh in the person of Jesus Christ the only begotten Son of God. We thank you that through your word you speak to us, and so we ask for your spirit to give us wisdom, understanding, and insight. Lord, help me as a very imperfect man to teach your perfect word today. Open the eyes of our hearts and our minds to receive with humility what you would speak to each one of us so that we may have a greater faith in you and so that we may be equipped to share the good news with others. Lord, I thank you for every individual here and online who are listening. May they have ears to hear and eyes to see. In Jesus' name, and everybody said? Amen. Amen. Verse 29 tells us, as they went out of Jericho, a great multitude followed him. To give you some context of where Jesus is right now, he is one week away from his crucifixion. He knows that it's coming. He has complete and full knowledge and understanding that he is going to go to the cross and bear mankind's sin upon himself and be buried in the grave. He knows the turmoil and the trials that he will endure. He knows that his friends will abandon him in the moment when they're needed most. And he knows that even his heavenly father will turn his back on him as he bears the sin That should have been upon our shoulders. Jesus knows all these things. And he is going from Jericho to Jerusalem. Jericho is about 18 miles away from Jerusalem. And is a 2,500 foot climb in elevation. It's also a very rocky and unsafe road. How many of you remember the story of the Good Samaritan? 
This is the road between Jericho and Jerusalem when Jesus tells the parable or the story of the Good Samaritan. It's fraught with robbers and with thieves. It's got a lot of crevices and drop-offs. It's a dangerous road. And we see that Jesus, with all these people, are leaving Jericho to go to Jerusalem. And specifically, they were going to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover festival. How interesting it would have been later on in history, knowing that you were part of the crowd that walked the Passover lamb to the city of Jerusalem. Jesus is headed on a difficult road. Where would your mental state be if you knew you had one week to live? How would your thought process take place? Where would your mind be? I would imagine for me, thinking about Jesus, he has a specific mission. Why did Jesus come to earth? What was the reason that he came? To die for the sins of mankind. Jesus was fully human and fully God, and we can imagine that certainly this was heavy on his mind and on his heart. It would have gripped his emotional state as well, and yet we see something amazing in this passage. Here Jesus is with multitudes, which means probably, if not just hundreds, thousands of people. And how many of you came before, uh, how many of you came before second service actually started? Do you know how loud it was in the courtyard? It's hard to hear. You got you to gotta be pretty, pretty loud in your conversations. Imagine thousands of people all clamoring to be near Jesus, to walk with Jesus, how loud it would have been, the dusty road, all the chaos happening. And look at verse 30. And behold, two blind men sitting by the road, when they heard that Jesus was passing by, cried out saying, have mercy on us. O Lord, son of David. We don't know a lot about these blind men. The other gospels tells us that at least one of these men's name was Bartimaeus, which just means son of Timaeus. That was his dad's name, but we don't know a lot else. We don't know if they were born blind. We don't know if blindness came later in their life. But we see that they are sitting by the road at the front of Jericho. Now, why would these men be sitting at the gates of Jericho? Begging, begging, hoping for someone to give them some money or some sustenance, some food, because they had nothing. When we go back into the ancient world, especially in the Roman Empire, there was no place for Jews who had infirmities or disabilities. There was no place for people like these blind men to have programs or homes to live in. They were literally living hand to mouth at the kindness of other people's alms or handouts that they were being given. And we see that they've positioned themselves in the best possible place at the gates of Jericho so that when people came in or when people went out of the city, they would be able to receive anything that they could get their hands on. And you can imagine the scene. All of this commotion is happening You can't see anything. You're blind, but you can at least talk and go, hey, hey, what's going on? What's what's happening here? And someone says, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Oh, what an incredible thing to hear for these men because we're going to learn that they already knew about who Jesus was. So much so that amidst the chaos, amidst all this crowd, they start shouting. And not like 
kind shouts. You ever had that friend where you're like at the, you're, you're at Handel's ice cream and there's that friend across the street that's like, Frank, oh Frank, it's me, it's me. Or you guys remember that scene from Elf where he goes to pick up his brother at the school? Michael, Michael, it's me, buddy. And what does Michael do? It's like, oh my goodness. These men are crying out in such a way. They're desperate. They're passionate. Are you kidding me? Jesus of Nazareth is about to pass by. We have to get his attention. We have to cry out. That's our only hope of getting our sight back. And so they're screaming at the top of their lungs. And what are they screaming? They're screaming, have mercy on us, Lord, son of David. Have mercy on us, Lord, son of David. I can't imagine what it must have been like for these men being blind. They wouldn't have known which direction Jesus specifically was. They were literally just crying out, hoping that he would hear. Taking a little tangent because it's fun to do. Uh, Yesterday, we had a young adults outdoor game day. We went to Green Oaks Ranch in Vista. They have a beautiful facility. We played kickball. We played volleyball. We played this game called Gaga Ball, if you've ever played it, which is a blast. We did one-on-one basketball. We did disc golf. Um, We had tacos. You name it, we did it. And I forgot one thing. What was it? How how do you know? I forgot sunscreen and I wore a hat backwards all day and literally when I got home yesterday there was just a white line here and then it looked like I had the Mission Federal Credit Union sign right on top of my forehead and my wife Jocelyn she looks at me and she goes oh my goodness you have to preach with that tomorrow I already have a giant forehead and so I was like oh people just think it's the Lord's light shining upon me she's like no 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 everyone's gonna know you're sunburned for sure she's like have you been putting aloe on it I'm like yeah I'm on like my 12th round of aloe she's like don't worry I have some essential oils for you now there's this thing in our house whenever my wife says essential oils I'm like oh you're witchcraft that's what you're gonna do she's like no really this is a great remedy for sunburns and so she has me lay down and she sprays this stuff on my face I'm like ooh, that feels good it's nice it's nice and cool and then I can hear her like with the little roller my eyes are closed I have no idea what's going on and then I hear her hands going and then it's like just her soft hands on my face and immediately I'm like ooh, that burns <laughs> But I don't want to say anything because I'm, you know, a tough guy. And then I ask the question, is it supposed to burn? And she's like, well, whatever that means. And then at this point, I'm getting nervous because I can't open my eyes because I literally can't see because it's burning so bad. I'm like, my face is on fire. We got to get it off. I have nowhere to go. I can't see. And she's like, oh, oh, here, come this way. I'm like, this is the part where you walk me right into the door jam for sure. We finally get to the, the sink and I'm splashing my face. It took like 20 minutes for my face to cool down. But here's the cool thing. The sunburn was actually way worse yesterday, so apparently it worked. (laughs) Now, it's a silly story, but it's to illustrate an important point. My temporary blindness was caused by who? 
oh, oh, myself, Jamel. <laughs> myself. Who would I like to blame it on? My wife, right? I'd like to blame it on my wife. She's the one who came up with the crazy concoction. Who puts peppermint and tea tree oil on someone's face? Uh, yeah, I could blame my wife. I could say, hey, my temporary blindness was caused by my wife doing these essential oils. But the reality is, you already said it, Jamel, whose fault was it? Because I didn't what? I didn't wear sunscreen. That was my fault. As followers of Jesus Christ, there's some truths that we need to understand. And if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, I hope this is helpful to you this morning. All of us were born spiritually blind. All of us were born in darkness. Romans 1 says there is no, no one good, no, not one. There is not a single person who is born into salvation. We must answer the call that Jesus gives to us. So if we are all born in spiritual blindness, there may be some temptation for us to blame it on others instead of a taking accountability for ourselves. Maybe we could blame it on the people that brought us up. We had a hard home life. Or maybe we could blame it on trauma or difficult circumstances which we've experienced, which I'm sure plays a significant role in many of our lives. Or we could blame it on Satan, that he simply won't let us see. And there is some truth to that, which we see in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. The Apostle Paul says this. This is from the New Living Translation. Satan, who is the God, lowercase g, of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. Who has blinded the minds of those who don't believe? Satan. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. If we were to go back to the Garden of Eden... Adam and Eve choose to take the forbidden fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and eat it. And when God comes in the garden, he asks Adam first, he says, Adam, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in which I told you not to? And Adam's response is what? It was the wife you gave me. Now, who's Adam really blaming? Now, he's really blaming God. So God looks at Eve and he says, Eve, did you eat of the fruit? And what's her response? Ah, the serpent deceived me. The devil made me do it. Now at the end of the day, we know who is held accountable for the spiritual darkness that we live in. It's ourselves. It's ourselves. Keep your fingers in Matthew chapter 20. I'd like you to turn to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. It's good to hear the pages of that Bible turning. John chapter 3, verses 19 through 21. If you're there, say amen. Amen. Here is what Jesus says. He who believes in him is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation. This is what causes spiritual darkness. This is what makes someone an unbeliever. 
that the light has come into the world and men love the darkness rather than the light. Who love the darkness? Men, which means mankind, because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. Therefore, who is accountable for loving darkness more than light? We are. We are held accountable for loving darkness more than light. What Jesus is talking about here is spiritual blindness. Spiritual blindness. And here are three things that spiritual blindness takes the form of. It's religion without relationship with Jesus. It's religion without relationship with Jesus. It's going through the motions. It's being a Sunday Christian. It's showing up, sitting in the chairs, hearing the Bible teaching, saying amen, hallelujah, good to see you, brother. God is good all the time. And leaving and having nothing transform your life. And here's the truth. Religion isn't just subject to what we think of as religions like uh, Christianity or Islam or Catholicism. We can be religious about all kinds of things in our life. We can be religious about our routines to where they become the core and the center of how we function and whether our life is considered a good life or a bad life. We can be religious about our abilities and our strengths about the things that we're good at. And we end up worshiping those things instead of the one who's given us those blessings. We We can even be religious about our own sin. Sin that becomes darkness and darkness, which is what we love more than the light. I can remember a season of my life where I knew what was true. And yet I was living in darkness because I liked the pleasure that it brought. Even though I knew what was right, I was living in sin and I loved the darkness more than the light. I was spiritually blind. Spiritual blindness masquerades as ultra spiritual. Spiritual blindness masquerades as ultra spiritual. Especially here in Southern California, I hear this a lot I'm a good person. I'm a good person. And depending on how you define good, I would say, I guess most people are good. Like if you don't walk around murdering people, that's great. If you don't cheat on a lot of business deals, that's great. But the Bible's very clear. All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is no one good, no not one, except for one, and his name is is Jesus. I hear often, I'm very spiritual, I just don't go to church. Um, I'm not really entirely sure what that one means, but normally it's centered around, listen, I I pray a lot. To whom or to what, I'm not sure, but I I pray. Or I use my rocks and my crystals. Or I'm uh, I'm vegan, I'm dedicated to my veganism. Um, I'm committed, I'm devout. I'm an advocate for others. I'm a social justice influencer. And all those things start to combine to look. Look at my spiritual resume. Look how righteous I am. Oh, those people are what? They're spiritually blind. 
Spiritual blindness leaves us dead in our sin. If we don't have light, if Christ does not give us sight, that spiritual blindness leaves us dead in our sin. This is not in your, uh, on the screens, but I'd love for you to put it in your notes. We are led by what we love. We are led by what we love. If you love your sin in the darkness, what are you led by? Sin and darkness. If you love Jesus and you're pursuing him, who are you led by? Oh, you're led by Jesus. The spiritually blind do not lack light, but instead love darkness. Now, since all of us are spiritually blind from birth, it makes sense that there must be a transformational change in order for us to gain sight. And notice as we go back to the story in Matthew, what these two blind men are crying out. They cry out, have mercy on us, Lord, son of David. Why would they cry for mercy? What is mercy? What is mercy? Say that a little louder, Kelly. Not receiving what you deserve. That's really good. It's the withholding of punishment when we deserve punishment. Now, this is an interesting choice of words because perhaps if you had a physical infirmity, what might you cry out? Heal me. Heal me. But I believe the fact that the Greek word here that is used is for mercy gives us an indication of what these men already knew. They already saw themselves as sinful men. They were already humble. They were crying out to Jesus as the Messiah by saying, have mercy. Please give us what we don't deserve. I don't deserve to have my sight back, but from you, because you're merciful, because you're God, I'm asking for my sight. Jesus always answers cries for mercy. Jesus always answers cries for mercy. Mercy is rooted in a humility in which you're asking for forgiveness. To Kelly's point, you're asking for something that you don't deserve. And that's exactly what these men are requesting of Jesus. And here's what I love. They're screaming it at the top of their lungs. Sometimes at the end of a church service, we will often have people bow their heads and close their eyes. And if anyone has been moved by God's spirit and desires to receive the Lord, we'll ask them to do what? To raise their hand. And in general, this is how hands go up. Right? Imagine these men. One, they're blind. But two, they're like, have mercy, which means I'm a sinner. Jesus, I'm a sinner, a really big one. And I would love your mercy, please. That's amazing. Do you ever think of it that way? That's what these men were doing. They didn't care about the crowd. They cared about the Messiah. They believed that Jesus of Nazareth was the Messiah. They believed that he was the only one that could bring healing to them. And so they're not afraid to ask for mercy. Oh, would we be so bold? Would we be moved in such a way that we didn't care about what others thought? All we cared about was having our sight. 
and that sight being on Jesus Christ. I have two scriptures for you on the screen that we'll read very quickly, talking about the character of God that was embodied in Jesus Christ the Son. This is what the men are appealing to. Exodus chapter 34, verse 6 and 7. This is the Lord speaking to Moses. The Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out. This is God's voice. Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and... I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin. But I do not excuse the guilty. The good news in that, hey, God is merciful. He is compassionate. He forgives. Whether it's rebellion, whether it's sin, whether it's iniquity, he is willing to forgive you when you say, I need mercy. And yet there's the hard truth also of, he does not excuse the guilty. If I continue to blame my wife for my temporary blindness, who's in sin? Oh, I am. If I continue to point the finger at God, or my circumstances, or people in my life for my darkness, who's in sin? Ooh, I am. Jonah chapter 4, verse 2. This is from the New Living Translation. To give you some context, how many of you know the story of Jonah pretty well? Uh, the story of Jonah is amazing. It's a short book. I'd encourage it for uh, some weekly reading. God decides to visit through a prophet named Jonah, a city called Nineveh. And at the time, Nineveh was the most wicked city on the earth. Uh, they would do terrible t things not only to their uh, foreign neighbors, but also to one another. Uh, you, if you've ever seen Pirates of the Caribbean, when everybody goes to Tortuga, that's how I picture Nineveh. That would have been Nineveh. And here's what we're told in the scriptures. Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh, but for a very specific reason. Why didn't Jonah want to go to Nineveh? He didn't feel like they deserved God's mercy. It was 120,000 people, wicked to the core, and God said, I'm about to destroy this city in 40 days. Jonah, go and preach to them judgment and repentance. If they turn from their wicked ways, I will forgive them, and I will relent from bringing my wrath upon them. But if they don't, I will wipe them off the face of the earth like I did Sodom and Gomorrah with fire and brimstone. And Jonah doesn't want to go, and here's the reason why. Jonah chapter 4, verse 2. Here's Jonah's complaint against God. I knew that you are merciful and compassionate, God. Slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. What an amazing complaint. It would be so nice if people would complain about us in the same way. That was his complaint because he didn't feel like the people of Nineveh deserved it. But who does deserve it? None of us. Not me. Not anyone in this room. These men, as they're crying out for mercy, they knew who they were appealing to. They were appealing to the Son of God who was God himself. They knew his character. They showed humility. And then they give him two titles. They call him Lord, which is simply master of my life, the savior of my soul. I'm going to call you my boss. And then they say, son of David. 
This is what's known as a messianic title, or in other words, it's just a term for the Savior that the Jews had been waiting for for thousands of years. Over and over again, an Old Testament prophecy, whether it be from the book of Isaiah or Joel, or even all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, a Savior is promised, a Messiah to come to rescue and ransom the people from the power of sin and death. And who do these men believe is the Messiah? Jesus, and they call him by his messianic name, the son of David, the one who would inherit the throne for eternity. That comes from 2 Samuel chapter 7. And it's not a formal request. It's not sent in a nice, neat letter like we send to congressmen. Please don't sign this bill. It's shouted at the top of their lungs. Mercy! Mercy for a sinner. Mercy for the worst person on the planet who can't even see. Mercy for the pathetic. Oh, son of David, Messiah, please have mercy. James chapter 4 verse 8 says this, draw near to God and what? He will draw near to you. That's exactly what these men are doing. They can't see where to go, so all they can do is cry out. And yet they're drawing near to God. And the promise that we learn from James is that God will draw near to you. Now we see in verse 31, it says, Then the multitude warned them. They warned them. They warned them that they should be quiet. But they cried out all the more, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. Do not miss this point. In our lives, I don't care who you are, how old you are, where you are, here is the work of the enemy. Shut up! Jesus doesn't have time for you. Who do you think you are to ask God for anything? Do you know what you've done in your life? Stop asking questions. Stop thinking that you can somehow have a different life. You're stuck the way that you are and you'll never change. And the enemy will pound us with his arsenal of lies. These men experience this very thing in a very tangible way. They cry out to Jesus and there's people passing by saying, hey, be quiet. The teacher doesn't have time for you. Dude, you're annoying. You're ruining the mood. This is supposed to be a celebration. We don't have time for you. Lame, you blind. This is how the enemy tries to work in our life. But Jesus teaches something very profound. In Luke chapter 18, he gives a parable of a persistent widow who is not receiving justice from an unjust judge. And over and over and over again, she just says, hey, when are you going to hear my case? Hey, when are you going to hear my case? Hey, when are you going to hear my case? Hey, when are you going to hear my case? And finally, the judge goes, oh, not for the sake of justice, but just to get this woman off my back, I'll give you your justice. And then Jesus teaches, how much more will a just God hear the righteous prayers of a man and give him what he desires. Luke 18 verse 1 says this, Then Jesus spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. Men always ought to pray and not lose heart. Oh, may our prayers be as desperate and persistent as the cries of these two men.
they wouldn't stop crying out. Listen, if there's a stronghold in your life and you know it's there, don't stop praying. If there's a wayward child in your life that you just feel like, God, like, I don't know anymore. Don't stop. Verse 32. Oh, this is so powerful and I'm already getting emotional. Here we go. So Jesus stood still and called them and said, what do you want me to do for you? This is amazing. Think of the situation that's happening. It's chaos. There's thousands of people. It's noisy. It's dusty. Jesus probably has the cross on his mind. He's headed out and just maybe faintly he hears, mercy, mercy. And what did the scriptures say? It says he what? He stood still. Do you know the significance of what this means? That the creator of the universe, that when you cry out to him, when you're in pain, when you're asking according to his will, what does the God who made the cosmos do? Oh, he stops for you. That's mind-blowing. That's the God that we worship. That's the Savior we've been gifted. That he would stop and be still and listen to our little tiny cries for Murphy. Murphy. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Lord, thank you for unintended humor. says that he stood still and then he did what he called to them he called to them Jesus stops everything and he says hey you too come here let it be clear that without Christ calling us to himself we cannot receive spiritual sight without Christ calling us to himself We cannot receive spiritual sight. Here's what I love about this aspect of being called. The reason why I say without being called, we can't receive spiritual sight is the same thing as saying without being called, we can't receive salvation. Romans chapter 10 makes it very clear. How will anyone be saved unless they hear the good news of the gospel? And how will anyone hear unless someone is sent to preach the good news? The reason we're doing this Ezra project is for this very purpose. We can sit in our houses all day long and go, Lord, please help Uncle Jed to become saved. But unless we go to Uncle Jed and we give him the good news of Jesus and we verbally tell him or we tell him where to read, how on earth is Uncle Jed going to hear so that he can receive the good news? You see, when you take a Bible and you couple it with the relationship that you have with the person and you say this, listen, Brother, you're going to leave me? Right? Oh. That's my brother, Raphael. I haven't seen him in four years. Yeah. Pray for that boy. No joke. No joke. 
When you hand someone a Bible and you say, listen, this is what I care most about in my life, this truth. And I want you to care about it too. But I want to have conversation with you and try and answer questions and share my story of how God has gotten a hold of me. That's what it means to be called by Jesus. Here is what I love. How do you know if you've been called by Jesus? How many of you here, and I want participation, how many of you here have heard the good news? Raise your hands. Keep them up. You are called by Jesus if you've heard the good news. You can put them down. And here's the good news in case you've never heard it. We were born depraved, wretched sinners because of the decision that Adam and Eve made in the garden. We are bent to destruction. We are selfish to the core. We live in spiritual darkness and are blind to the light of this world who is Jesus. And in our sin, we are headed for eternal death. And yet the gospel, the good news, is that God sent his only son who left his glory in heaven to come to earth and live with fallen and sinful men that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He took our sin upon his shoulders and bore God's wrath on our behalf so that we could be free from the power of sin and death when we cry out, Mercy! Mercy, Lord, Son of David. Mercy, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God. And through his resurrection from the grave, we also are raised to new life when we follow Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. That is how you know you've been called, if you've heard that message. This is the calling we are given to share with others. And here's what I love about what Jesus does. He stands still, he calls to them, and then he asks them a question. What do you want me to do for you? Now, we're talking about the all-knowing God of the universe. Does he know what these two guys want? Does he know what you want? Then why does he ask the question? Yeah. He is a builder of men. We must ask so that we can receive. Because the asking is the part of the humbling process that allows us to go, God, I am wretched and sinful. I need a savior. Will you save me? And here's what I love. God makes time for you. What do you want Jesus to do for you? God makes time for you. What do you want Jesus to do for you? James chapter 4, verses 2 and 3 says this. You do not have because... You do not ask. You do not have because you do not ask. Do you have an addiction in your life that you want to be conquered? Then you should do what? You should ask. Are you loving darkness more than the light of Christ in your life, even though you don't want to? What should you do? You should ask. Do you have a marriage that you need help in? What should you do? You should ask. Do you have a neighbor, a family member, a coworker who needs Jesus in their life? What should you do? Yeah. And join the Ezra Project. Yeah. 
We do not have because we do not ask. And when we ask according to God's will, which means the character that he has, the things that he desires, when our heart aligns with his heart and we ask for what he wants, what happens? He gives it. Do you want a fat house, a Tesla, and more hair? <laughs> Don't ask. Don't ask. You do not have because you do not ask, and what you do ask, I do not give because your heart motives are all wrong. Ask for the things according to God's heart. If there are strongholds in your life, he desires to tear them down. Ask, and then do what Luke 18, 1 says. Do not stop praying and do not lose heart. These men, they cry out one time. People are like, hey, be quiet. Teacher's busy. No time for you. And what do they do? Oh, more and more. They cry out. They don't stop until Jesus is still. He calls to them and then he asks them this question. What do you want? Verse 33. Again, they address him as Lord. That our eyes may be opened. It's a simple request, but when we think about what they're asking, it will require a miracle. Something has detached in their retinas. I don't know ocular stuff. Dr. Gary Schwab would have to tell me more about that. But I know that there's actual physical hindrances to these men being able to see. And certainly, this story, which is a real historical event, is not just about someone getting their sight back physically, but about the spiritual light of Jesus Christ coming into a dark world. Keep your finger on Matthew chapter 20 and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. context of 1st and 2nd Corinthians is the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Corinth who thought they were very, very spiritual, and yet they were experiencing a deep spiritual blindness. It was their own righteousness and their own abilities and their own ways of doing church that had caught them up into thinking that they had sight when really they were blind. So Paul is writing to them to be very specific about spiritual truth and where spiritual sight comes from. Second Corinthians chapter 4, beginning in verse 4. Whose minds the God of this age has blinded. We've covered this. Who is that? It's Satan. <laughs> you always have to be careful in church when you ask a question like that, right? Because if someone shouts out Satan at the wrong time, things don't go well, right? <laughs> Whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. For we, who is the we in this? It's us. It's with Paul. It's his disciples. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves, your bondservants, for Jesus' sake. Stay right here in 2 Corinthians, but let's pause for just a moment. This is important. When you hand a Bible to someone, you are not preaching who? You're not preaching yourself. We do not go around saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
We do not go around saying, look at my life. I'm amazing. You should become like me. We go about preaching who? Jesus, his sacrifice, his crucifixion, his death, and his resurrection alone. That's who we point people to. We are the conduit. We may be the catalyst. We are the bridge, but we are not the savior. And if you are living in a relationship right now where you have taken the place of God in somebody's life, you need to stop. It's hurting you and it's hurting others. We were never meant to bear the weight of mankind on our shoulders. We do not preach ourselves. We preach Jesus Christ. But our role and our participation is what? What's it say in verse 5? We are bond servants, which means, hi, my name is JC. I love Jesus. How can I serve you? It would be my pleasure. You want to get coffee? Let's get coffee. You have questions about the Bible? I'm not sure I can answer all of them, but I'll do my best. And if I can't find an answer, I'll find someone who can. I can't save you. I can just walk with you so that you're not alone. This is what we've been called to. Verse 6. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of the darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Here's what this verse is saying. Spiritual sight can only be given through Jesus Christ. Spiritual sight can only be given through Jesus Christ. Here is what I love about 2 Corinthians 4, 6. It says, for it is the God who commanded to light shine out of darkness. What is that referring to? Creation. You go back to Genesis chapter 1 in the first four verses. The earth was formless and void and there was darkness and the spirit of God was hovering over the darkness and in the, over the water. And it says that God commanded, let there be light. And when did it come? It came immediately. The same God who spoke light into the universe speaks light into our hearts and gives us spiritual sight through Jesus Christ alone. Spiritual sight reveals the work of God in our lives. Spiritual sight reveals the work of God in our lives. Uh, there's another story about Jesus healing a, a different blind man in John chapter 9. And Jesus and his disciples are walking toward the temple in Jerusalem. And there is a blind man at the gates. And his disciples ask him this question. They say, Jesus, was it this man's sin or his parents' sin that caused him his blindness? Because in Judaism, it was a common misunderstanding, although it was being taught as scripture. It's a common misunderstanding that, hey, if you were wealthy and you had everything in order, that God was blessing you because you were better than others. And yet if you were poor or crippled or had an infirmity, it was because you must have done something wrong. That's, card, that's called karma theology. That does not exist in scripture. There is no karma. There is a God who is in universal control of all things. And then there are consequences to the things that we do, both good and bad. Jesus' response in John chapter 9 verse 3 is phenomenal to his disciples. He said, neither this man nor his parents sinned to cause him his blindness. 
but that the works of God should be revealed in him. And then what does Jesus do? He heals him and he has his sight back. Why was that man born blind? So what? To reveal the works of God in his life. Take a brief tangent real quick. John chapter 11, the story of Jesus raising Lazarus. How many of you know that story? That story takes place as Jesus is on the road to Jerusalem between Jericho and Jerusalem. It happens within a 36-hour period of this healing of the two blind men. And here's what I love. Jesus learns that Lazarus has died. And so he tells his disciples in John 11, hey, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. And one of the disciples goes, hey, that's great. Glad he's getting some sleep. It means he's going to get better. And Jesus is like, no. What I meant to say was Lazarus is dead. And the disciples say, well, gosh, if you had been there, he wouldn't have died. And Jesus says this to his disciples, for your sakes, I'm glad that I wasn't there so that you may believe in him who sent me. Jesus travels that road from Jericho towards Jerusalem and he stops in Bethany and Lazarus has been dead for four days And one of the sisters of Lazarus comes out and she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And Jesus says, do you believe? For if you do, you will see the glory of God. And he calls Lazarus out of the tomb. And of course, the disciples believe. And of course, Mary and Martha believe. But also those who were witness to it, it says that many believed. How many times have you been in your life where you're suffering in trial or pain, a job loss, and you're going, God, I don't understand what's going on here. Like, where are you? What are you doing in my life? And with spiritual sight that comes through Jesus Christ, we see the works of God revealed in our lives. How many of you wish you learned when everything was going really smoothly in your life? How many of us know that almost never happens? It's through trial and suffering and pain. That's when God reveals the work that he's doing in your life to mold and to shape you, to become less like your sinful self and to become more like the adopted son and daughter that you are in Jesus Christ. Lastly, spiritual sight fills us with the light of Christ. Fills us with the light of Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verses 7 through 10. It's from the New Living Translation. We now have this light shining in our hearts. What's the light? It's Jesus. It's the good news of Jesus. But we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from who? It's from God, not ourselves. We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. When we are being wrecked emotionally, when we are being wrecked physically, when we are being wrecked financially, there is a greater opportunity for who to shine through? For Jesus, because I've got nothing, literally.
Verse 34, Matthew chapter 20. So Jesus had compassion and touched their eyes and immediately their eyes received sight and they followed him. In Mark's gospel, the account reads this. Jesus said to the blind men, go your way, your faith has made you well. So we know this, Jesus heals them and when does it take place? Immediately, this is a picture of our salvation. The moment we cry out for mercy and confess that we are a sinner and that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, when do we receive salvation? Immediately. Becoming more like Christ takes over a lifetime. But our salvation comes in an instant when we cry out for mercy. And here's what I love. In Mark's gospel, Jesus says, go your way. May your faith make you well. It's got some theme music. (laughs) Go your way. Go your way. Jesus is basically saying, hey, you're healed. Now you're free to go. And which way do they go? Oh, it says that they follow Jesus Christ. Let us make something very clear here. If you want to know if you're saved or not, you're either following Jesus or you're running towards the gates of hell. That is all. There is no gray area. There is no middle ground. If you want to know if you're saved, you're either following Jesus, that's your way, or you're running towards the gates of hell. What I love about this passage is how these men immediately receive their sight. Listen, if you've been saved and you're here today, do not forget about this powerful truth that God is calling to others in your life so that you can share the good news so that people can receive the free gift of life that Jesus wants to give them. And if you're here today and you are not yet a follower of Jesus Christ, there's good news. By crying out for mercy, he will give you instant salvation. What an amazing truth. What an incredible story that God has given us. Let's pray together. You may freely share this message with others as long as you don't charge for it. Support for these broadcasts comes from your generous donations that allow us to give away our materials for free. To participate with us, please visit our website at themissionchurch.net. God bless.